Episode number 10, we're in the double digits. This is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. It's middle of April already. This podcast is for the week of April 11th, 2018, and it's been a hell of a week, man. Back uh, at it again. Yeah, it's been a busy week. Yeah, but last week with everything that happened in Saskatchewan, we can't... We gotta start with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was something that hits close to home probably for anybody who's ever played hockey or been around hockey or just a Canadian in general. For myself in general, too, Eric grew up in that area, played hockey in that rink hundreds of times. I have some... The support around everything's been pretty cool. The the hockey scene with the way the hockey community's kind of bonded together. And even everybody, like, there's been tweets from, like, Donald Trump and Ellen. I couldn't believe the one I saw this morning on SportsCenter was uh, was Queen Elizabeth. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty amazing. It's, it's tragic for I have to come together for something like that. But the support, I'm sure the families appreciate the support and stuff, so... Those were roads that you would have traveled when you were growing up. Oh, man. Yeah, we well, yeah, uh, the leagues that I played in Nippon was always part of it, Nippon and Tisdale, so we, I've been down that road hundreds of hundreds of times. Like, well, my, my brother was on that road earlier in the week because he's working up in that area. And, yeah, it's it's crazy how close to home that all that stuff is. And my second year playing senior hockey at home, we were kind of involved in the same sort of incident. We were pulled over on the side of the road on the way home from a game, and we got rear-ended by a car and the people that hit us ended up passing away. So that the news of that brought lots brought back a lot of scary memories and it's kind of it's nowhere near the scale of what happened with the with Humboldt there but it's still just I just remember being in that situation and it, you're so helpless and you, it just it's not a fun feeling but we were lucky too like the community really supported us in that and it's good to see that these kids the people people and the parents and everybody you're going to have the support of the whole community and the, everybody's going to be back on track here and yeah so, no, it's crazy. I don't know what to say. Like, times like this, it's kind of, you know, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, I'm the same way, too. Yeah. And, like, what, something that really hit me the other day with it all is, like, especially at that level of hockey, like, those kids, like, they have their billet parents and their parents and the coaches and the fam. Like, my gym teacher from high school, he lives in Humboldt now. He teaches at the school. Like, so he would have taught most of those kids. Because there's, there's a few local boys on the team, too, so they would have grown up in that town, and you don't know what to say. You can kind of just try and show your support and just offer, like, a, if you ever need any, something, like, if you need someone to talk to, just don't be scared to reach out. But, yeah, it's tough to put into words, kind of, like, the emotions. And, like, you just read some of the articles, and, like, it just gives you chills. And when you play lots of hockey, too, like, when you're traveling out, like, going on a bus trip, like, you're rocking around, joking around, like, you're standing up, playing cards, everybody's huddling oh, yeah. around some seats, or, like, yeah. it just... Yeah, there's no the, seat belts on the No, buses, that's the but... last thing you're going to think of happening on a bus trip. I know there's been times we've been going through a snowstorm or something sketchy happens, but that's that's yeah. just part of the whole bus trip. The bond you share with those guys, like those are your best friends and being in that helpful situation. Where the, like there was a one article of that kid, he grew up like a mile down the road from where the crash yeah. happened. Like, yeah. That's, I can imagine being that kid's dad once he gets that phone call and having to drive down to that scene and seeing oh, all yeah. that. Like it just, yeah, you can't really put it into words. I'm sure everybody will be able to pull together and there's, there's strong people out that way, so... It's a good, strong community and with lots of good support. So I think we're going to be coming on the good end of it. Us hockey people are strong, just like just like the Cowboy community. Yeah. We see stuff like even while, even with like with Ty, like you see the community really come together and kind of make, make a difference. Hate to see stuff like that happen, but thankful that the people that are still around are doing okay and are going to be able to, most, most of them aren't hurt too, too bad. Yeah. Thinking of the people out in Humboldt right now, that's for sure. Definitely. Uh, speaking of the hockey world, uh, our guest today is from the hockey world. He's also a cowboy. Clint Malarchuk is the author of The Crazy Game. I was just texting him here getting ready to do our interview coming up next, and he was actually speaking this weekend in Kipling and Regina. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Hmm. 
So I think, I believe today he's already back in Nevada working on horses. We'll catch up with him here in a minute. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I can't imagine him flying up here to do some speaking engagements and, then, and how they would have been this weekend. That would have been devastating. Oh, and just hear that news. like Yeah. Especially when a guy like him too, like we, we had talked before we started the show, like he would have been like lived on a bus in oh, yeah. his career. Yeah, definitely. Like So like I can only imagine what something like that would hit home for him too. Or yeah. Even, yeah, and he's like that era too would have been like the stuff current bus crash too so yeah i believe uh well yeah he 86 been, 86 was the year and it says yeah. here that 86 was his first year in the, in the nhl so in the nhl yeah i mean yeah it's i can only imagine how that would affect affect a guy like that who's been oh, like i said before he's been part of that bus culture and yeah i'm sure that it was and being in saskatchewan too at the same time like i think there's some kids or there was one kid from that area mm-hmm. who was on the bus so i can only imagine like i know like Cody Floyd's parents knew the knew the parents of the kid, the, the kid from that area. Oh, really? Passed away. Yeah, that's where Code Cody's. He's from Kipling. From Kipling. Yeah, yeah. And Kipling's right. Is Kipling right by Humboldt? Ah, uh, no. Kipling's about an hour and fifteen minutes southeast of Regina, and oh, Humboldt okay. Humboldt's Humboldt's east of Saskatoon. East of Saskatoon. Okay. Yeah, northeast Saskatchewan. So I don't know my Saskatchewan geography very good. My bad. I got you. Like we said before, it's just. The support's been unreal, and it's not going to be an easy road, but I think everybody will come together and kind of make it as easy as we can and hurt together. And we're definitely, like I said, we're definitely thinking of people in Humboldt and yeah, trying to do everything we can to help support the community, and hopefully they come out on a better better end of things here. Um, I was listening to, the, to Sportsnet this afternoon on the way back from Red Deer, and uh, one of the things that Rob and Pat and, and I think Will or Derek were talking about was how people are more willing to talk about all this sort of stuff now and how people are feeling. And I, I think that that's, that's one of the big uh, improvements maybe. Oh, well, we e- say. even like Sheldon Kennedy touched on it too. Like the resources the kids have and the people have today, yeah. like compared to when they went through it, it's, yeah. it's like ten, changed tenfold. Yeah. And like the Saskatchewan Health Authority or whatever you want to call it, they did a really good job the night of the incident. Like they released like a telephone number that people can call if they need to talk about anything and like yeah. made sure that was known. And that's the power of social media you, t- you see now, right? Yeah. And I think that's going to be the difference maker in this whole situation. Like even for the families, like just to have that resource, just to like reach out and talk to somebody. And yeah. just the hockey community, like like when Todd McClellan and Glenn Gulston went to visit those guys in the hospital, like imagine like having, like that probably was a nice get like kind of like an escape if you want to say for those kids who are sitting in the hospital. Yeah. Because like, Glenn and Todd were saying like they, all they wanted, they wanted to talk about hockey. So yeah, I mean- the way the reach that social media has and that kind of resource that on that and the things I think it'll make it a little bit, I don't want to say easier, but that's just more accessible for those people to kind of help in the journey of healing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like compared, oh, yeah. To, like compared to 86, like I touched on yeah. there. Yeah. So. Well, and the, and the whole mindset I believe has changed since as well, where people mm-hmm. are more willing to speak and they feel safe to speak. And Cause like we're like, well, like being cowboys and playing hockey yeah. and all the sports that you brought up to be like rough and tough and like don't treat yeah. your feelings and battle through all this stuff. But when it comes to this kind of thing, you, you gotta be able to talk about it. And we've seen it, the effects it's had on athletes at every level and every sport. So yeah, I think that's going to be a huge, huge thing when it comes to this, this deal and moving forward for everybody. Well, and it's good to see like last night though, with that vigil they had at the rink. Yeah, Humboldt. Like that's cool to see all those people come together. Like the prime minister was there, and yeah. the president of the Broncos had an awesome like, like the way he put like together his words, and like it was unreal. Like it was, it was pretty like a really good way the way he put things. And yeah, yeah, it's you hate seeing these kind of circumstances, and even like and again in comparison to Ty, like 
have to bring people together, but it's yeah. cool to see like what the power of that, like the power of sport, what it has and what, how it can bring people together to yeah. like, do something good out of a bad situation. Something good is going to come out of it. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Just like, just like we've like the, what's been done with like the fountain type one foundation and stuff like that. There's out of tragedy and something can rise up at good. That's good out of it. And I think that'll be again, one of those things that helps people move forward and part of the healing process, bit of a gloomy way to start off, but yeah, it's, Tough it's, it's something that hits home for i'm probably i'd say like for us and definitely the people like probably most of the people that listen to this and one of the things that jason davidson mentioned though on one of our one of the last little meetings here though is that that could easily been uh a busload of or a truckload of our athletes like could have been anything yeah how much we all travel and everything Mm -hmm. like my dad always said that we're more likely to get wrecked on the highway than in the arena like it's for sure the odds are on the but that's going to be the way that things go right that's just yeah there's risk you take and it's and the yeah. thing that's the thing about driving down the highway you got it's not only yourself it's the other people yeah and i mean yeah we make so many miles rodeoing and like all night drives and people driving tired and just yeah. all that mixture it's just it's and you hate to say it but it's inevitable really like not for everybody but like stuff like that does happen like you hear people like that's like most like incidents involving rodeo people are accidents like vehicle like motor vehicle accidents like mm-hmm. so i mean yeah, that's a definitely a harsh reality of it all, I guess you yeah. could say. And it's just, yeah, it's sad to see something like that happen. Or it could have been even, like, most of those teams do a fan bus. It could have been the fan bus with the yeah. parents on it. Very yeah. true. Because there was one right behind them, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, there was, I think there was, from what, what I had read and what I've heard. And I know, like, the coach, like, the assistant coach that didn't travel, because he lives, like, between Humboldt and that point, so he did not ride on the bus that night. Yeah. He said he was a half an hour behind. Makes us thankful for what we have in our time. That yeah. We're here. It can all be taken away in an instance. Take advantage while you can, I guess, while you're blessed to be on this earth and yeah. hug your loved ones a little tighter. And that's definitely, definitely, yeah, that was something that I did over the weekend is make sure to take the time and yeah, make sure that make sure the people are close to you, that you know, that you're sending out the love and stuff. So like I said, it's, it's something that's, it's going to be hard and it's going to take a long time for us to recover from it but it's going to be something that we will it's going to be it's not going to be easy but with all the big support group and the people around it's going to be something that it'll be a long road but it'll happen that's for sure Mm -hmm. coming up next here we'll talk to our guest on today's show episode number 10 we'll talk to clint malarchuk nhl goalie yeah the cowboy goalie as uh as we found uh in a couple of his bios and some of the research we did isn't that us what isn't that us are we the cowboy well, we, goalies? We can. I think he's the original, though. <laughs> oh, he started it all. He started it. I guess so. he's a little older than us. So we'll he have can, to ask can, him. He can lay claim to the to the cowboy goalie for now. But you know who else they could say is a cowboy goalie is Denny Halstead too. He's also a cowboy. He's also, also a goalie. I, I yeah, he is. So and he's older than all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, Dennis listens to this. So he's probably the original cowboy goalie. He might be. He might have a patent on it or something. I wonder. But a uh, really cool story with Clint, though. We're gonna, we, I've yeah, got a whole bunch of stuff now. with him. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, really cool. Hot episode coming up. Gonna be a good show. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, we're we'll sending out our thoughts uh, again to Humboldt. But we're thinking of you. We love you out there. We'll be back after this. Proud to have Clint Malarchuk on the show today. He's the author of The Crazy Game. He's the cowboy goalie coming to us live today from South of Reno, Nevada. It's Clint Malarchuk. Clint. I guess tell us where you are to start with, and uh, and we'll go from there. 
Well, I was in Vegas, yeah, for, I don't know, five or six years. Then I went to Idaho and loved living there. Uh, I coached the Idaho Steelhead there for a couple of years, and that's where I went to uh, horse dentistry school and all that, and so now I'm here. (laughs) In your book, it said that you had Rod and Denny at your place there, roping during the finals, wasn't it? Yeah. In fact, I just saw Denny, hey, uh, oh, a few weeks back, I was was giving a talk up near Westlock, Alberta, and... uh, he uh, he came with his wife, and uh, there's another time that was a real honor for me. Was uh, I spoke at Red Deer College Show? I would say about four or five years ago, and uh, Chris Anderson was there, Denny Hay was there, Dwayne Baines came, um, uh, Mel Brown, all these old bronc riders, you know. So it was uh, quite an honor for me that they, you know, come come out and support me that way. Well, in in your book too, you mentioned that you hung out a lot with uh, with Coleman Robinson too. I just saw him the other day as well. Oh, he did. Oh, yeah. Coleman's, uh, Coleman's probably my best friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We we are always in touch. Uh, we we've had a few uh, a few beers together. That's for sure. And if you know Coleman, uh, he's he's a pretty funny character, fun guy, good friend. So uh, yeah, Coleman. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, you, you were mentioning about Rod and Denny. Hey, they were when they both were in the NFR one year. They uh, they they came out and I had a roping arena, which you know uh, we so they came out and we were roping and and I just found it so funny that you know then they went and got on the Bronx that night and uh, you know they just it's it, it's kind of different like with hockey uh, the guys are you know, having a nap during the day and, and here they were rushing to the Thomas and Mack Center to, to get on their drunks. We're almost late getting there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, actually? We, so Wacy and I both play net too and we're both used to ride bulls. So we're like, we were wondering who the first cowboy goalie was. It was... Not, not the brightest guys in the world, are you? <laughs> <laughs> or I guess we're all in the same... Well, you didn't get on the... Didn't ride too many bulls, though, did you? I tried it when I was, you know, like a teenager. Uh, more more steers. But, uh, you know, I, I was pretty serious about my hockey. And people were saying, ah, you, you might not want to be, you know, going down that road. So I, I kind of stayed away from it after that. I got to ask you about uh, Coleman and his and one of and their music. Coleman and Mel, they got... Don't they sing together? A little bit. Uh, are you? If you, if anybody out there listening, I'll tell you what. I think they've got three albums out now. I know two for sure, and I think they just did a third one. It's unbelievable. It, it, it is. It is real cowboy western rodeo music, and uh, very, very, very well done. And Mel Brown is an excellent uh, songwriter. Can't can't sing their shit, but. Uh, <laughs> 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 but. Uh, they they, they they did some really good songs. Uh, one was called Fat Girls, so yeah. you can imagine how that is. And uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so these guys uh, they're pretty uh, pretty talented. They're, but yeah, I I have actually uh, given quite a few of those uh, uh, CDs out to people, like the local YouTube down like here, horseshoers, uh, people that I know in the business and the horse business and that. And they say, well, we've worn them out, so can you get <laughs> So they're definitely, uh, definitely for the cowboy mentality. As a bit of a backstory, so Jake Brown is Mel's son, and him and I are the same age. So I met Mel and Jake when I was like a steer rider, like I was 12 or you know 11 or 12 years old or whatnot, and we've been friends ever since. 
But then also, so Coleman, is he married to Colleen now? Colleen, yeah, yeah. They're, that, they're not married, but uh, they're they've together, been together for a while. So yeah. uh, Colleen's kids, uh, Rhea and Riley, are both my age too. So I met Coleman. Yeah, I know them all. Yeah, well, you would have been like, yeah. you, yeah, for sure. So they're, they're, we're all the same. All those kids are all the same age as I am. So we were all going to the high school rodeos and everything at the same time. So that's where I met them. But she was <clears throat> she was really good friends with Susan Hines, too. So you probably would know Clayton as well. Very well. Yes, sir, I do. Oh, yeah. cool. So uh, I grew up in Drayton Valley uh, with Clayton. He was They're the ones that got me involved with all this business. Yeah, I, I, I actually spoke there, I think it was last winter in Drayton Valley. Really? I didn't get to hook up with Clayton, but uh, yeah. Uh, it was uh, it was kind of kind of nice to be uh, you know up in that part where I'm kind of from you know I'm from Grand Prairie originally but I lived all over Alberta so yeah anytime I get up there it's uh, it's always fun. Well, so let's go back to that though. You uh, you're you're born in Grand Prairie and then it says you grew up in Edmonton, but what what's the story there? Well, my roots were Grand Prairie. Uh, we moved to Edmonton when I was about six, I think. My cousin had married into this ranch family, and so I just loved to go back and spend my summers up there. And so I always claimed Grand Prairie as, as my real home. I played most of my minor hockey in Edmonton, but I spent every every day. So they school got out in the spring, I'd be uh, up at Grand Prairie for the whole summer. And as I got older, I kind of became the hired hand out there and did a lot of, you know, uh, learned a lot about the farming and ranching. And the one brother had a dairy uh Outfit, so I learned uh, what real hard work was <laughs> and, yeah. and lack of sleep. So yeah, uh, that's kind of where I, you know, hang my hometown hat on. I guess um, I got to go back there. Uh, I guess it was a couple of years. They do that uh, uh, on hockey night in Canada, whatever. They do the hometown hockey. Yeah, and I, I was a Grand Prairie boy, so I, I went up there for uh, the hometown hockey and. You know, with Ron McLean, and and actually, I got Kelly Sutherland uh, to come on with me on TV when I got interviewed because, of course, you know he's a uh, pretty famous uh, name up there and great chuck driver. Um, you know, all those Sutherlands up there. So, but to have Kelly Sutherland on hometown hockey with with myself was kind of kind of unique. I think probably the first time something like that was done. By yeah. CBC, <laughs> and uh, then then I got uh, inducted into their Legends uh, Hockey kind of Hall of Fame thing. So you know it's kind of been you know that's what I mean about Grand Prairie. It's uh, Edmonton's a big city, and I I like to really uh, connect with the uh, the smaller communities like Grand Prairie. So when you uh, you played minor hockey in Edmonton, and then you ended up with uh, with Fort Saskatchewan in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And then a couple years later, you were in Portland. What were those uh, steps like? How did the, how did those kind of happen? I guess I remember reading in your book again, but it was a while ago now. I I, I kind of I think I missed a year or two of midget hockey and played in Port Saskatchewan. Uh, I think that's when I started to you know kind of excel a little little bit as a goalie, and uh, you know I moved up a couple couple levels uh, a little quicker. And, uh, but I got to play a lot and, and really kind of develop my skills. And then, uh, Port Saskatchewan is kind of like the farm team for Portland. So, uh, that was my next step, uh, going to the winter box and then getting drafted by, uh, Quebec Nordique. 
And it, what was it like when you finally, well, not finally, but when you, when you stepped on the ice in, in the big show, that would have been something else. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it was very overwhelming. See, I never thought of myself as a real talented, uh, uh, only, you know, I, I thought I was okay, but, uh, I, I, maybe I just didn't have the confidence that I should. So, you know, I, I worked really, really hard to, I guess, compensate for what I thought was maybe lack of talent or skill. And, uh, uh, you know, to play, I, I was fortunate because Quebec did not have a lot of depth and goal. So I was able to, you know, I played a couple of years in the minors, but, uh, you know, I was getting called up uh, my first year to a pro as well to play in the NHL. And, you know, you're 19, well, I guess 20, 21 years old. You know, uh, back then, now that, now that kids are coming up so much younger because of the, you know, salary cap and all, all, these, all of these things that go into the game today. But back then, guys played in the minors six, seven years sometimes before they didn't even get a sniff at the, uh, at the, at the NHL. So I was pretty fortunate to... Uh, you know, kind of go to a team that didn't have a lot of depth, so I got kind of put in uh, a little quicker than most guys, I guess. You got to go up a couple times, and then you kind of, it was like about the th- second or third year before you, you had a full-time job there. Well, I, I still remember my first NHL game. Uh, I was in Quebec, obviously, and we're playing Buffalo, uh, who I later on played for, but we were playing the Sabres, and I remember, I got, I, we, we, I think we tied the game. Remember, they, they didn't have the overtime in the shootouts back then, so I think it was a uh, tie, and I was second star, and just, uh, you know, on top of the world. So the next next game, we're playing the New York Island Islanders on, their, on the island, and this is when they were, you know, winning their cups. And I remember it was Billy Smith at the other end, and I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, you know, and the game ends up we lost uh, ten to seven. So uh, you know, I guess Billy let in seven, even though I let in ten. What the heck, eh? <laughs> but I was back in the I was back in the minors like a day later. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two yeah, games. Those, those, those two games. Uh, I I, I want to say it was our, my first year of pro too. Uh, oh, okay. First or second year. Yeah. So I was still pretty young and green, you know. But uh, it was a different game back then, too. I thought, you know, uh, that's why, you know, I, I, I really give Grant here so much credit is, you know, he had those offensive guys in, in front of him with the Oilers when they were winning their cups. And, you know, they'd win, but the games were always, uh, you know, 6-5 or 5-4, and Grant Pierre would stand on his head, but he still let in five or six goals, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> they were so offensive-minded. And, you know, he was so brilliant uh, as a goalie. How much did things change during your career? You you played from I guess it would have been the mid '80s, like in the in the NHL. You played from the early '80s all the way to to the '90s, like those ten years. A lot of stuff changed in that that timeline. Well, yeah, you know, when I was brought up, you know, everything was stand up, play the angle, stand up. If you went down, uh, you know, they always questioned you. You got to stand up. <laughs> and then along came uh, Patrick Roy, I guess his name is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you know, Patrick Waugh changed uh, a lot of that. Guys like him, Eddie Belfour, started the butterfly, and and uh, and then they started to do more statistical. I guess now nowadays they call it analytics and that. And they're finding that you know, ninety um, percent of the shots in games were low. Um, you know, so guys with butterfly it made sense, and uh, now everybody plays on their knees, and you see way more shots go on top shelf, but, you know, anybody that's played at a high level, it's, uh, 
it's easy to go top bar when uh, you can practice, but in a game, things happen so quick, it's not always easy to get the puck up. So that's why the butterfly goalies uh, and the game, they're all butterfly now. But that's why they, the game changed. Or the goaltending part of the game changed. So evolved into that. But I, I did, uh, I did uh, change my style and did start to use uh, use a butterfly uh, a lot more than you know what I was brought up with. Well, and they would have at, at that same time. They had to change the equipment too to make that change work for you. Uh, well, here's a here's a here's a funny story. It might sound arrogant, but. I, 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 I was asked the questions, could the goalies of my era, like Grant, you all these guys, myself included, whoever, um, Jelly Rudy, the friend, uh, could they play in today's game? And <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, almost like, you know what? I would, I would have to ask, could those guys play in our era? Because <laughs> yeah. the fitness that we, and the only reason I say that, I mean, it, it hurt to play goal back when, when I played. Um, practice was not fun because it hurt. Pucks hurt. The equipment, uh, uh, was, the upper body equipment, anyways, was was just felt, basically felt. And you know, we'd, we'd be in the shower after practice, and guys would go, oh, "I got that bruise. That, that was me. That was me." And they're pointing at you in the shower. You got bruises all over, and they're playing in the <laughs> they're playing oh, the bruises. <laughs> you know, all in fun, of course. But but you guys had to move so much more like i would say precisely when when it was a stand-up time like you had to have things so much so much better like you had to be so much more on on the spot right like in the in the right spot at that point well but yeah i think back then you know i think most of us goalies back then were good skaters uh now when i was a goalie coach after i retired and uh you know it's in the nhl working with goalies and that and you know, not a lot of not like we we were we were, had to be good skaters because we had to stand up to move everything. Now they're just playing their knees all the time, and so uh, yeah, we it was different. We, uh, positioning is of course uh, you know always trying to move from A to B as quick as you can and stand up and take the shot. <laughs> oh yeah, for the people listening that don't know your story, I've uh, I I don't want to ask you about. What happened in Buffalo? But I think we—I'd like you to explain kind of what what happened with what you know with what you're willing to talk about and whatnot, and and how it fits in, I guess, too, to to your speaking engagements you're doing now as well. Well, I think you know my claim to fame is in 1989 uh, playing for Buffalo against St. Louis. I caught my jugular vein, and uh, you know back then, you know I came back as soon as the stitches came out, and you know, people. Uh, Kind of questioned that, saying that's a little, it's a little quick. But that, you know, Buffalo loved me for it. They thought that was gritty and courageous, and I kind of became a cult uh, hero. Even today, it's funny. There's a band called Malarchuk, uh in, in Buffalo, and, <laughs> which which is which is really a, a, a great tribute. But man, they're they're the head banging heavy metal. Oh man, why why can't you guys play some country music? <laughs> you know. But I met the guys. I was up there doing the book signing, and I met the, the band, and they're just great guys, just really, really, really good guys. But uh, um, after that tragedy, that you know, trauma of cutting my jugular vein and coming back and, uh, as quick as I did, uh, uh, later on, I, I, I didn't know it, you know, but things kind of started going south with depression, anxiety, panic attacks. But the, the worst was the nightmares that I was having. 
uh, gee, that skate come up there. I'd wake straight up in bed and, and, you know, uh, I got to a point where I could barely sleep or I couldn't sleep really. You know, that's when I got diagnosed with some mental illness issues, but, uh, you know, it kind of ended my NHL days. I went to the minors, got healthy mentally, uh, saw a great doctor after two, three years of seeing different doctors. And so I, I did really good for about 15 years. And then, uh, uh, things started to go south on me again mentally. My, I think my body got immune to the medication, and I started to uh, self-medicate, drinking a lot. I would drink, uh, man, I drink 30 beers a day easy, but it's American beer. <laughs> so what's that for? <laughs> yeah. yeah, not very many. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and then that led to a, a, a drunken suicide attempt where, uh, you know, it, it, to tell the toll story, you know, I, I wasn't even sure there was a bullet in the gun. I mean, I'd been out shooting anyways behind the, my barn and uh, uh, just uh, think I just snapped. And so I finally got healthy, uh, got the help. I was in treatment for six months. And so I guess my journey now is, you know, uh, you know, I got back into coaching in the NHL and, and that, but my journey now is uh, I go around, I keep trying to help people. Uh, I know we just lost uh, one of our cowboys up there from D.C., you know, of mental illness and suicide. So uh, there's people that struggle. I think the cowboy culture, the athlete culture, uh, first responders, military, you know, kind of tough guys and gals that are uh, in these professions and jobs and sports. Uh, it's hard for us to, to uh, we, 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 because of the stigma, we're all, it's always perceived as uh, weak. And I understand now that it has nothing to do with how strong you are. Uh, it's not a weakness, it's a sickness. And, and so my, I, my story is to try to help people that, uh, you know, hey, stands up and takes more courage to get help and admit maybe you've got a problem than it does to uh, just suffer in silence. And, uh, you know, more and more people are, are, are trying to end the stigma of, of mental illness. And, and I think we're making progress. I uh, I got to agree that we're making progress. We uh we're a big part of Ty, like the Ty Posbon Foundation. Uh I par- I'm part of the board of directors and kind of help start it and uh we do all the merchandise stuff out of the house here in Calgary and Wacy helps out with it lots and uh and it's amazing how many people and you I remember I was actually just listening to another podcast that you were on and you talk about how many people reach out to you and and uh, and how yeah. how much you know yeah. I reached out to you a couple of years ago that's how you know this was, that was before well, Ty passed away but I, I emailed you after I read your book and, and we chatted a little bit well yeah you know because and, and that takes courage to do that you know to, to understand that you're not alone hey I mean there, after I wrote my book I had no idea no idea how many people are out there just like me uh, that suffered but because we do it in silence and, and somewhat of a shame and we shouldn't but I got so much feedback with emails and Facebook and messages. And recently, the Players' Tribune just did an article that uh, that I did for them. And, and now, uh, like, I, I've got, you know, that we're doing this podcast. I'm doing a podcast with a, uh, Jim Rome tomorrow, who's a pretty famous uh, uh, sports announcer in the U.S. In fact, he's, he's been... Uh, well, she's, she's, to be, I guess, part of his show, you have to have done something. So I... I I guess I got my neck cut and shot myself. So <laughs> I get to go on the show. I want to go back to the to the cowboy stories and and probably there was some fun stories in your book. But what's 
maybe you have another one that you want to share from from the times when you're running with those guys and there was a one time when you were you were signed with Washington and you mentioned Winston Bruce and that you got on a bronc at at the uh at one of the convention rodeos one morning during the stampede and it ended up being on the on the uh wire yeah. and ended up back in Washington. Yeah, that was uh uh yeah, I remember we we're we we're all hanging out at the ranch with the course and, and uh drinking beer. It started raining and it did pour and poured. So I think most of the guys that were gonna ride for that yeah, it was just like the kids uh a kid, like a convention going in, in the morning, and it was a spooky arena. I think everybody just thought it was going to be called us. So I was the only guy that showed up. And yeah, so I told Vincent, well, I guess I got to get on something here. So I did, uh, <laughs> I, did uh, I think, one bareback horse, a mane and tail horse. Uh, Holy. And, and you know, yeah, yeah, we were that because these people had to see something, right? And I, I was wearing. I was wearing a, you know, one of those uh, yellow slickers, and I, I'm telling you, when I hit the dirt, it wasn't dirt; it was soup. It was just mud. Oh wow! And uh, yep, yeah, that was, that was a fun time. So, um, I guess one of my, I guess, favorite stories in the book is uh, we were traveling. I was playing with, uh, uh, I think it was Quebec. Yes, it was Quebec. And we we, uh, we we went to Palm we go to L.A. And back then, L.A. was the only real southern team in the NHL. And uh, we had, like, five days down there. So a bunch of us went to Palm Springs. Actually, the whole team went to Palm Springs, and they, their luggage didn't make it. But we were going to, Dale and I, Dale Hunter, was doing kind of a farm boy from Ontario. He and I had set up a trail ride for all the players. But uh, we traveled in suit and ties back then, and... Uh, they lose the luggage, so no one wants to go on a trail ride with a suit and tie except me and Dale. And so we got we got some beer. And, uh, they they were great. They let us take some beer on the trail. It was just me and him, and we took off. And and then the boys must have got their luggage because they were down on the golf course. And Dale and I went ripping down there, up and down the fairway, hooting and hauling them, and uh, pulling the pins out and trying to joust. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite a display and uh you know i i know we caused a little damage on the golf course i i wasn't much of a golfer so i didn't know that they, they they're pretty precious about their dreams <laughs> um, so uh we, we we show up back at the stable and the cops are waiting for us i guess and you know just figured out that's where we must be going and yeah we got in a little trouble over that david Boyle was our gm and uh, he had to, uh, well, he scolded us pretty good, but he paid all the, all the damage fees. So I, I think that, I think they, they thought it was, uh, good team bonding anyway. So we got off a little bit easy deal and I on that, but oh, yeah, man. the one, the story, but uh, the Calgary Stampede, I didn't, I didn't finish it. Yeah. There, there was a picture in the, in the, in the Calgary Herald, I think. And it said, you know, Washington Capitals goaltender, uh, airborne, uh, you know, because that was a good picture of me in the air. And, uh, uh, yeah, the American press picked it up or something. So it made it to Washington paper and, uh, David put RGM uh, called the rodeo grounds. Back then there was no cell phones. And I had a message from the rodeo office to, uh, call David Coyle. My mom had left the message, uh, you better call David Coyle. And, uh, so I got in a little bit of trouble over that. Although I denied it, said it was my brother, not me. It was a misprint in the paper. <laughs> so, you know, 
but uh, I know he didn't believe me. That'd be that'd be like the equivalent of like Carey Price getting on a bull at the Stampede, though. I, I just uh, had uh, lunch with Carey Price in Montreal, uh, not a week, week and a half ago, and yeah, he's uh, he, he, he's a team loper, as you probably know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he's kind of uh, had to uh, put a kibosh on that right now too. Oh, I bet. Well, actually, he was. Before he signed this this uh, latest contract, he was roping in Williams Lake, actually, a rodeo. I think it was quite a while ago now. I guess it was like 2011 because I was competing at the same time. And he was actually roping, I think, the same day, and I didn't even realize it. I thought it was a joke or something, but it was it was before I knew that that, that he actually roped. But, yeah, he was, he was competing there. But then the next contract he signed, that wasn't allowed. He couldn't even rope, which, I mean, yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah, that, that's what he told me. He's pretty much shut down from, from doing that. But you know, I, I explained to him. Uh, there's another guy. Uh, well, there's a few guys that played hockey that have that cowboy background. You know, obviously, I think you, the Sutter's out of Viking, Alberta. But also Doug Sutter, who was a coach in the Western Hockey League, and he, was, he was a goon goalie. He couldn't stop a puck, but he was one of the toughest guys that played in the league. And they used him for a tough guy. So I think, well, the side of the course, I said, uh, who the heck else? Uh, Mark Lamb, I think he's he old. Doug Sauter, uh, or Doug uh, uh, Soltart, who played with Montreal, uh, I think Winnipeg. Uh, you know, he was a goalie. But uh, I was texting him the other day. He said, a couple more years, he's going to retire. I think he's an NHL scout now. And he's going to retire and go, you know, go hard on the rope and start really competing hard. Oh, cool. And yeah, I guess- yeah. Uh, Chris Russell too had he had a buck and bull there for a while and then he he's got a roping horse and he ropes a little bit too I don't know if well you know his 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 dad was a you know a bullfighter right yeah yeah and yeah. uh yeah and uh he was he was he was one of those guys back when I was in the 80s in that era with Coleman Robinson and all those guys so everybody knew him his name was Shaky his nickname is Shaky yeah so Chris Russell I was coaching with Calgary. And, uh, no, I actually, first of all, with Columbus, I had Chris Russell in Columbus first. Oh, yeah. And then we, and we were, and then we were in, uh, we were in Calgary together as well. And, uh, I just always called him Shaky because that was his dad's nickname. And <laughs> it kind of caught up, it, it kind of caught on. Not, not a lot of people knew, uh, that, you know, about his dad doing that. So his dad actually just got inducted into the Hall of Fame this year in Canada up here, the Rodeo yeah, Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I mean a lot. Of, a lot of guys uh, wouldn't wouldn't understand how big a deal that the uh, little shaky was to to you know the, the rodeo world back then. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you about about your speaking engagements and Gracie and I started the show today talking about what happened in Humboldt and you uh, this past weekend. You were just in Kipling and Regina, you said as well. Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's so weird because it didn't really hit me. Yeah, it hit. It started to really hit me, like, traveling home yesterday. I started to, you know, uh, think about it more. You know, sometimes that shock has to wear off before you realize, man, all the families that were were affected. And, and as you guys know, you know, we've lost, uh, we've lost some cowboys in, in car accidents, you know, traveling to rodeos, uh, in some plane accidents and over the years. And, uh, you know, it's a family uh, with the hockey uh, community. It doesn't matter what level, you know, you're, you're connected. And just like the rodeo and, and ranching uh, 
uh, community is, is, you know, we're, we're all connected some way. So it does hit you a uh, pretty sad deal for sure. Oh, yeah. I don't even know how to describe it or what to say. Well, well, uh, you know, what happens on, uh, on, on Friday and I'm speaking in Kipling on uh, Saturday and, you know, I try to be funny, you know, part of my, uh, my talks, are, you know, it's a heavy, heavy, heavy subject, a heavy topic. So you try to have some humor and tell some stories and some good, funny hockey stories or even rodeo stories or whatever. And, uh, that was a, one of the hardest talks I had to do because of the, you know, the tragedy that, you know, we've been all facing and hearing about the, just the night before. What does your speaking schedule look like the next, uh, the next while here? What does that look like? I just got home, like I said, at one o'clock in the morning last night. And I'll work on horses for a couple more days here doing the dentistry and chiropractic. And then I uh, leave on Thursday for Vancouver, um, there for, in three days after that oh i get to go to i do a lot of military i'm looking forward to going to uh in georgia a uh, big military base down there get to i get to ontario a lot of things um but you know i'd have to look at my calendar i, I got a busy pretty busy spring and uh for me i guess that people ask me so well, what's your life like now well when i'm home here uh i do my horse dentistry and chiropractic and uh uh, I got a, a veterinarian buddy that I do a lot of uh, help him out with some cattle work when he needs help, and um, and then other when, when I'm not doing that, I'm on the road uh, speaking, trying to help people, and there's stigma of mental illness uh, kind of diminished, and and maybe telling people funny stories along the way too. We we talked to Sheldon Kennedy a while ago. We went to his uh, center last. I want to say, yeah, it was sometime last year after everything happened with Ty. And he mentioned how how he still battles. Like, it, it's a, it's something that's still in our minds. Like, I know I've had trouble lately. I've been a little bit worse worse off than I had been previously. But, like, it just kind of, like, the stuff doesn't really go away very much. It's always kind of there, it seems like. They say time heals. But, how, like, I'm not running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it takes a long time when these tragedies happen. You lose a loved one, or or a hockey team, or you know, a cowboy friend, or whatever. It's uh, it, it weighs on you. But you know, they say time heals, so I think it just takes a lot of time. I think too, and that's part of my uh, uh, message too. I guess is because I finally, after 20 years of undiagnosed PTSD, I got diagnosed with it and got the help I needed. And you know, I think it's important that. Uh, that we process trauma, that we grieve uh, properly, and and uh, you don't have to go through life being you know a, a tough guy or, or, or pretending to be as, uh, that you're super tough. Uh, we're all human. We all struggle, and uh, I just encourage people that uh, when trauma happens in their lives to process it, get maybe get as a little counseling, little help, or even just talking to your buddies. Uh, uh, two big words I think are me too. And when you're really honest about certain things that somebody might share with you, uh, if they're really honest with themselves, they can probably say me too. You know, whether it be uh, struggling with depression or anxiety, maybe they went through a big divorce that really uh, hurt them for a while. You know, we're all human. We all struggle. Yeah. We got we to gotta ask you here before we call it a show here, but we want to ask you what your definition of cowboy shit is. <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, eh? Yeah, this is it. Okay. Yeah, I, 
I, I would say cowboy shit is what we're doing to shoot the shit, the uh, cowboys and uh, sharing stories. I, it, you know, it's great that you brought up, uh, you know, that uh, that album with Coleman and, and uh, Mel Brown and all those guys. They did that when they did the video, Fat Girls. Uh, it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's uh, hilarious. Everybody, everybody in that video is an old cowboy that you know rodeoed back in the eighties. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So interesting. That's cowboy shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you get back to your chores there, Clint. Yeah, I'll let you know uh, when I'm in Calgary next. Yeah, I want to come see you speak. I haven't got to yet, so. Love, love to have you meet you guys in person. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Well, let, let us know when you're here. Yeah, for sure. This is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. It's episode number 10 already, man. Yeah, flying through them. Holy crap. Next week's, next time's 11? Yeah. It's crazy. Mark Messier episode. Hell of a sh- interview there with Clint Willard. Yeah, that was I hope you guys cool. liked that. Super cool. That was fun. Interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's kind of cool, like talking to somebody like that's not like our era of hockey. That's true. And like, kind of, he's a little bit older, and you kind of see his perspective of things. It's pretty cool. Like I'm talking about like Grant Fear and oh yeah, that was pretty neat. Very cool. Thanks to Clint for being on the show today. He actually had listened to the show before. He listened to our Huge. first episode. I w- would recommend episode nine over episode one. For yeah. Anyone asking. That's good though, because like that means we're improving. <laughs> so okay, wrap up the Team Canada report. We got one, two. Three, four, five, six, seven. Seven Canadians in the top 15 in the PRCA world standings. World standings. World standings. I think last time we had eight, so we're down one. Clint Lay slipped to 17th in the bareback riding, but we still got Oren Larson and Luke Creasy on the inside. Curtis Cassidy leads the way. He's got $35,000 won already this year. Bam. Number three in the steer wrestling. Scott Ginsner, 14th in the Bulldoggin. Clay Elliott, Zeke Thurston, 10th and 11th in the Bronc riding. And the barrel racing, we've got Carmen Pazabon in the 13th spot. Nice. WPRA World Standings. That's awesome. In the PBI World Standings, we've got Dakota Butter, number 18. I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> $47,000 won on the year. Tanner Byrne, 20th in the world. Bam. 50 grand that guy's pocketed so far. Hey, Brock Radford wins a bull riding in Utah, number 40 in the world. Utah. He's, he's going. He just got the call today. He's in. He's in to Tacoma. Breaking news. And he's driving. You heard it here first. Brock Radford, number 40 in the world. He's uh, knocking on the door. Oh, man. That's awesome. He's riding hot right now. Knocking at the door, as the Arkells would say. Ooh, baby. Lonnie West, 66, so he's not too far back either. That's the podcast today. Thanks for listening, people. Smell ya. We'll check ya maybe tomorrow.